Well, let's look at singleness a, a little bit because in some ways, I really have been so eager and I'm, I'm thankful for those of you who are in here who are not currently married because I think one of the most, it, it saddens my heart and I, I was probably to some extent like, I know there's stuff going on, but like one of the biggest, like if we want to have healthy marriages and I've, I see so many marriages that are just, even in the church, like they just are struggling and the preparation for it, it, you know, it just feels like you're going against a tidal wave in the culture. And so um, he asked the question, why is it essential to study marriage as a single person? And I'm so glad that he has this chapter because it wraps it all up in some ways. But he, he says this at the beginning, single people cannot live their lives well without a balanced, informed view of marriage. If they do not have that, they will either over-desire or under-desire marriage. And either of those ways of thinking will distort their lives. And I was like, that's it. That is what all the college students and all the young adults that I meet who are single, like, you realize, like, you're going to either end up over-distorting or under-distorting, um, over-desiring, under-desiring, and distorting marriage. Um, because 99% of people still, even despite all the changes in culture, still long to be married. What I'd love to do is look at... Um, 1 Corinthians 7, because he deals, that's probably like the quintessential place to deal with singleness. Um, so 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 17. Uh, that is page 995 in these pew, black pew Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting at verse I say 17. I'm going to read through. Yeah. So there's a lot of this. I'm just going to read it. Only let everyone lead the life which the Lord has assigned to him and in which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor the uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Everyone should remain in the state in which he is called. Were you a slave when called? Never mind. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when, he call, when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brethren, whatever state each was called, let him remain with God. Now concerning the unmarried, I have no command of the Lord, but I give my opinion as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is well for a person to remain as he is. Notice he's still he's saying the same thing here that he just told, uh, circumcised, uncircumcised, freed, slave. Remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek marriage. But if you marry, do not sin. If a girl marries, but if you marry, you do not sin. Sorry. And if a girl marries, she does not sin. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. I mean, brethren, the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. 
and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For from this, for the form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The, the unmarried man is anxious about the affairs of the Lord, but how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly affairs, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried woman or girl is anxious about the affairs of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly affairs, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So that he who marries is his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do better. And there's a lot in there, but you can see all the implications about singleness from this chapter. Uh, one of the things that people say is, was Paul just really having a bad day when he wrote this compared to Ephesians 5, which had this amazingly uh, lofty view of marriage? And I appreciated the footnote on page 314, the end note, I guess, of, of Keller's chapter. He says, Paul's giving extended counsel for single adults in complex urban settings. That's what he's doing. And I was like, oh, that's helpful. I, I think there's probably a lot of uh, overlap in our current setting. So for single adults in complex urban settings, Paul says that in some circumstances, it's better to be single. It's better to be single, he says, in times of crisis. He talks about the present distress in verses 25 through 28. He says it's better to be single because singleness helps you avoid placing your ultimate security in the things of this world which are passing away. That's in verses 29 through 31. He says, thirdly, that um, it's better to be single because as a single one, is able to, one is able to devote oneself more fully to the spread of the gospel and to the ministry of the world, verses 32 through 35. And so the summary of this whole thing is that both married and unmarried are in good estates. Both are good places to be. Whether, it says on page 22, whether we should, neither, we should be neither overly elated by getting married nor overly disappointed by not being married because Christ is the only spouse who can truly fulfill us and God's family the only family that will truly embrace and satisfy us. So there's an incredible... He, he talks about how Christianity, Jesus and Paul, especially as single people, revolutionized the world. Never before had there been such a lofty, uh, good view of singleness. Traditional cultures place the bulk of their stock in their, um, their offspring, having children, their legacy. And Christianity came in and said, no, 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 God is our hope, not our, our children, not our family. Uh, I love uh, this, uh, this article by Paige Benton Brown, that he cites, Singled Out by God for Good. It's a fun title. Uh, and it's four ways that he notes, she notes, that the church has tried to like explain away singleness. So sound, see if you've ever heard this. I've heard some of these. So she says sometimes the church will just kind of explain singles like this. 
Well, as soon as you're satisfied with God alone, he'll bring someone special into your life, as though God's blessings are, never earned, are, are ever earned by our contentment. Or um, sometimes the church has said, you're being too picky, as though God is frustrated by our fickle whims and needs, uh, and needs broad parameters in which to work. Or sometimes the church has said, as a single, you can commit yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord, as though God requires emotional martyrs to do his work, of which marriage must be no part. And fourthly, before you can marry someone wonderful, the Lord has to make you someone wonderful. <laughs> I haven't heard that one, thank goodness, because that's terrible. Yeah, or, uh, you know, the whole book is like, we are all deeply broken, and the whole of our lives is going to be, the, and especially in marriage, as the appointed tool to make us more holy and wonderful. So uh, hopefully you haven't heard some of those. Some of those, you know, I mean, Paul just said, you can devote yourself to, to the Lord's work. So, but it's when you take some of these to the extreme like that, like, um, or, or, or to kind of twist some of this, like what's intended when they say certain things, like, well, until you're satisfied with God alone, then he'll bring someone special into your life. Well, it's good to be content, but like, you don't twist God's arm by magically making him do things for you when you become content. So I think that's helpful to recognize the way that the church has perpetuated the problem of singleness often, and um, what, what he goes on to say, and I'll just wrap up some of this here in five minutes, but that, as we've said over and over and over, that the church, um, the scriptures teach that marriage is, uh, the earthly marriage points to the heavenly marriage, that earthly marriage is penultimate, as Keller points out, that marriage points to the real marriage, the real family that our souls so desperately long for. In traditional cultures, they valued uh, the family, and today there's still, uh, we've talked earlier in the, cha- in the book about uh, the apocalyptic romance that we so long for this, you know, Disney kind of perfect partner who's never going to make any demands of us. And so that's, that's the temptation for us today. But I, I think it's important to look at a couple of things. One is he uses this term cross-gender enrichment. That's kind of what marriage does. That He says you begin, what cross-gender, uh, not, okay, I just realized the way that sounds. Um, That's not helpful. But cross-gender enrichment, the way Keller defines it, is when you instinctively identify the way your spouse reacts and thinks to certain situations, and then you can assess your current situation in light of kind of how your spouse would, and then oftentimes start actually doing what the wisdom your spouse has. You you begin to see the, the wisdom that the other gender offers. And so Keller asks, well, are married people the only ones who are to benefit from this differences among the genders? And he says, absolutely not. In fact, the church needs to be the primary place where you benefit from this. And not just, you know, he says that, okay, marriage on some degree is going to limit your friendships with the opposite sex. But in the church, in the Christian community, singles can have a greater range of friendships among the opposite sex. And I think that's really important. You can have a number of friendships there uh, with singles or married, and you're seeing and learning uh, particularly the benefit of the other perspective across genders. I think one of the biggest struggles that we have today is not longing for marriage, but actually fearing it and avoiding marriage. That is certainly the 
the modern, postmodern uh, take on the world. And he, he notes that, you know, the church is just as guilty. There's two primary ways that, um, that the church or that, that the society kind of evaluates, you know, and think about dating, that um, men tend to look for physical traits and women look for financial security. And that has definitely seeped in into uh, kind of like what we were talking about earlier. We're, we live in this world, and that's what it values. And, and until the church really helps and, and brings up a generation that actually values by what Keller was talking about, values the character, values the uh, holistic, comprehensive attractiveness, he calls it, uh, then we're probably going to, unfortunately, resemble the culture's values there. He gives a, an interesting overview of dating, which I found, like, the whole concept of dating, like courtship and all that, didn't, I mean, it was arranged marriages even in America until, like, the 19th century. I didn't know that. And then there was courtship, and that was, it was amazing because it had to do with the family. You're on, you're, like, in the parlor or on the front porch, and, like, the woman actually initiated and had the, you know, who, what suitor could come and all that, but it was all within the context of the family. And at the turn of the 20th century, so like 1914 is the first, I think, reference he says of, of the, the term dating, all of a sudden now, it's way more entertainment-based, and the big difference is you're taking the relationship out of the family into uh, leisure and entertainment-driven things. And um, that is... Hey, um, that is problematic, to say the least. So, um, he says, the individualized, this individualized the process, removed the family, changed the focus of romance from friendship and character assessment to spending money, being seen, and having fun. And then, of course, at like the 21st century, it's all of a sudden the hookup culture, which just goes straight to sex. And he says, the way forward is not to try to recover you know, courtship, or, or, you know, why not go back to arranged marriages, he says. But take the wisdom, recognize the idols in each culture, and take some of the wisdom. And here's the practical counsel that he gives, and I'll just summarize it. This is, this is really, really good. First, there's eight things that he gives as practical advice. First, recognize that there are seasons for not seeking marriage. You know, if there's major transitions or times where you're just raw emotionally, Recognize it's maybe not a good time to be dating or, or seeking marriage. Secondly, understand the gift of singleness. I think this is one of the huge ways people, especially in the church, are like, if I have any desire for marriage, I must not have the gift of singleness. There's really helpful stuff in this chapter where he says, no, that's not exactly what Paul's talking about. The gift of singleness is, um, what he says, is uh, the single calling that Paul speaks of is neither a condition without any struggle nor, on the other hand, an experience of misery. It's God's gift, this condition of singleness, to, uh, and I don't mean that as like a disease, but like your status as single is a gift from God to help you in the state that you are in. Um, and so you may, uh, if you long for marriage, that's a good thing. Uh, but God's going to sustain you in that. But people often will say, I must not be single just because I long for marriage. Well, that's not necessarily the case. He says, thirdly, uh, practically for advice, get more serious about seeking marriage as you get older. This is really helpful for children thinking about this, like your, your friendships, right? 
And he says there's two ends of the spectrum. On the one hand, you've got those who uh, just want to find any excuse to be with the person that they're interested in. So the, the dates, the, those things really don't matter. They're just trying to be with the person. On the other end of the spectrum, you have people who um, really aren't cared, caring about the person at all. They just have, they want like an escort, somebody to go with them to the activities that they want to do. They want to have a companion for that. They really don't care about the person. And uh, he says, you know, as you get older, give more weight probably to the fact that you're caring about the person. Because if you're in your, he says, if you're in your 30s and you're still treating people like they're just an escort to go with you to some activity that you want to do, you're playing with people's emotions by that point. Like you, you're, you're dragging, like there's the expectation that comes along that um, as you get older that uh, you should be more serious about seeking marriage. So fourthly, don't allow yourself deep emotional involvement with an unbelieving person. This is really controversial, but it's really simple. He says, if you're a Christian, the most important thing in your life is Jesus Christ. And, and I don't know how some people don't get this, but um, it's not just that if you're dating somebody who doesn't have that, they don't get Jesus. They don't get you. If that's the most important thing about you, they in some way don't, some fundamental way, they don't get you. And so that's what Paul's after. It's not about you know, uh, race or ethnicity. It's about faith when you are being yoked to somebody who values the most important thing in your life the same way. So um, being equally yoked, that's 2 Corinthians 6.14. Fifthly, uh, make sure that you feel attraction in the most comprehensive sense. We've already talked about that. Make sure you're, you're caring about their character, their mission, their, their future glory self, as he called it earlier. Uh, sixthly, don't let things get too passionate too quickly. Dating, this whole process is, a, is an evaluation process. This is what I tell people all the time. You're, you're trying to make an assessment. And physical interaction, from holding hands to kissing to, to sex, all that does is ramp up hormones and emotions and clouds actual evaluation. So don't get too passionate too quickly. I think that's really helpful. He says, if you're wondering if you've made it through the infatuation stage, ask yourself these questions. Have you resolved conflicts together so far? Sharp conflicts. Or have you each shown the other that you can make changes out of love for the other? Um, he says, you know, this is why it's important to refuse sex until you're married is because your heart is going to latch on. It was by design meant to glue you together. Uh, and you're evaluating this person until you are married is what uh, it's supposed to be. It's kind of shocking that we are, for the first time, in a culture where there's no, uh, he, I forget where he says this in the chapter, but there's no clearly defined place to like actually meet people and you know, with hookup culture and all this. Meeting people, no clear path of how to get married. Some people say it's for the first time in the history of humanity, so I believe it. Um, don't become a faux spouse for someone. This is the seventh thing. Uh, what he talks about is like basically don't drag people along uh, and don't allow yourself to be drugged along in, in a relationship where you're dating. He talks about how his wife said, um, you know, she was kind of like the, they called it the cheap girlfriend syndrome. And eventually she got to the point where she said to him, look, I can't take this anymore. I've been expecting to be promoted from friend to girlfriend. I know you don't mean to be saying this, but every day you don't choose me to be more than a friend. It feels as if I've been weighed and found wanting. It feels like rejection. So I can't just keep going on the same way, hoping that someday you'll want me to be more than a friend. I'm not calling myself a pearl, and I'm not calling you a pig, 
But one of the reasons Jesus told his disciples not to cast pearls before swine was because a pig can't recognize the value of a pearl. It would seem like just a pebble. If you can't see me as valuable to you, then I'm not going to keep throwing myself into your company, hoping and hoping. I can't do it. The rejection that I perceive, whether you intend it or not, is just too painful. Direct quote, he says, that's exactly what she told me. And a couple weeks later, they started dating. <laughs> so uh, don't become... Uh, uh, yeah, don't allow yourself to be drugged through the mud by somebody. Yeah, right? Yeah. Final thing, this is it, and then we'll, we'll close. That's a lot of self-respect. That is, it's important. I think this is the most important one, so I have to say it. Advice for those seeking marriage. Get and submit to lots of community input, he says. Uh, opening up your home, if you're a married person, into the lives of younger people, if they're dating, single, uh, is really, really important. I saw this, actually as a child, in the homes of like the, uh, the Christian marriages that some of the, my, the girlfriends that I dated, seeing her parents, like I was like, oh my goodness. It is so profoundly important to do that, and we need community. Marriage is not just an individual decision. So um, those are some helpful things. I, it is past 1015, um, but call, talk to me if you have other questions. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you for being a part of it, and uh, we'll keep going. We'll see what happens next. So, Lord, we thank you for this time. Uh, thank you for the gift of marriage. All the things that we have looked at this past few 12 weeks or so, we pray that the parts that were helpful would take deep root and bring change in our lives. And anything that is not of you, that is not helpful, would it just fall away? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.